Amen. You know, when I think of Jesus Christ on the cross, paying the price of our redemption, bearing away our sin, we're singing, oh, make me to understand it. What does that mean? It, it means that he was our substitute. He took our place. He died for me. He was our surety because he was paying the debt to the broken law. He was our sacrifice. He was our sin bearer. He was our saviour. And if you think of that little outline, then that will help you to reflect on the multifaceted nature of Christ's precious atoning death. We're reading tonight from John chapter 6. We're going to read from verse 60. Let's hear the word of God. The words will come up on the screen for all who are online. But we do encourage you to get your own Bible. Turn to the place and read the scriptures. Not only hear them, but see them. John chapter 6, verse 60. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can, near, who, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What? And if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Now, my text tonight is found in John chapter 6, verses 70 and 71. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. And this evening I want to preach on a message that I've entitled, The Portrait of a Perilous Pretender. Now, the story of Judas Iscariot in the Bible is one that's very familiar to many of you. But sadly, it's also a most repulsive and stomach-churning story. Many of you are aware that the name of Judas Iscariot is synonymous with betrayal and treachery. Remember how the Bible records he was one of the twelve. It's mentioned in our text. It's mentioned twice. 
Have not I chosen you twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. And it says, For he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. That means he's one of the twelve original disciples. That means he was one of those that was chosen to be one of the holy apostles. So I want you to think of this man, Judas Iscariot, being chosen by Christ, handpicked. And yet it was this man who betrayed Christ. Remember how he covenanted with the chief priests and the elders to betray Christ for 30 pieces of silver? He was the one who led the mob to the exact location in the Garden of Gethsemane where Christ and the disciples resorted often to pray. I want you to think of Judas Iscariot in the company of the soldiers. They come with swords and staves and lanterns. It's the dead of night. And in the darkness of that night, he steps forward and he kisses Christ on the cheek. He addresses him as master. And you see, this was the betrayer's sign to single out Christ before his arrest. Kiss him on the cheek. Uh, call him master. Christ is arrested. He's taken off for his unjust trial. Someone has rightly said, and I think it was the late Dr. Paisley that preached a sermon saying that Judas Iscariot kissed the door of heaven, but lost his soul and went to hell. You see, according to Matthew chapter 27, if we read the biblical record carefully, when Judas realized what he was done, he was smitten in his conscience. He was overcome with guilt. Guilt is a real issue for many. He, he returned to the chief priests. He had said to them, Behold, I have betrayed innocent blood. And then he threw down the 30 pieces of silver and he left. Now the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1 verse 18 that Judas had bought a field. And so remorseful was Judas overcome with guilt that sadly and regrettably he hung himself. Matthew chapter 27 verse 5. They were not told in the Bible whether the rope broke or whether the branch that the rope was on broke. But after a time of hanging on the tree, Judas fell headlong into that field. There must have been stones there because the Bible tells us that his, his body burst open on the rock. He died. That field became known as the field of blood. And it was this very field that the Jewish leaders later bought that they called the potter's field with the money that Judas had thrown down in the temple. They didn't put it into the treasury again. They used it to buy the potter's field, the field of blood. Now it's interesting, if we take the whole name, Judas Iscariot, there are ten actual references in the New Testament that mention his full name. And if we put them together, they form, I believe, one of the saddest stories in the whole of the scriptures. You see, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, keep that in mind, pretended to be a child of God. He pretended to be a born-again Christian. He pretended to be a preacher of the gospel. But he wasn't. He was a play actor. He was pretending all the while. And in time his sin found him out. 
And young people tonight, that's a real biblical principle. Be sure your sin will find you out. We have talked in the past, especially around the harvest time, about what we call the Galatians 6 principle. Remember what the Galatians 6 principle is. Galatians 6 and 7, the Bible says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. You see, here's the doctrine. The law of the harvest, the law of the soil is the law of the soul. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. I want to ask tonight, how many are there in Northern Ireland, beyond Northern Ireland, in the United Kingdom and further afield, who profess to be Christian, They pretend to be the children of God. They declare, I'm a disciple of Christ. Yet the greatest tragedy is this, they're not. They're not born again. Their heart is not right in the sight of God. And they stand in the same category as Judas Iscariot. They're like Simon Magus who himself believed. And yet his heart wasn't right in the sight of God. They're like Demas, having loved this present world more than him who's the only begotten son of the Father. Now, as I thought of this, the portrait of a perilous pretender, thinking of Judas in particular rather than these other characters, there's things that come to mind. Here's the first thing. The place where Judas Iscariot was reared, the place where he was reared, You see, if we think of the name Judas Iscariot, I've already told you we can discover there's 10 references in the New Testament. But if we leave off the word Iscariot and just type in the name Judas in biblical gateway, it widens out to the number 32. And every one of those references, I have looked them up, They give us a little glimpse further into the life and witness of this man that ten times the Bible calls Judas Iscariot. Now when you hear the name Judas Iscariot, some people think of him as a traitor, as a thief, as a murderer. And the name itself becomes repulsive to them. The name's an unworthy name. The name to them is associated with evil and great wickedness. But I want you to think tonight. There's nothing wrong with the name. The problem is not with Judas' name. There's a reason why his parents called him Judas. It's interesting today, of course, if you think about names, very few parents would call their name, their child Judas. They, they call him David and Peter and James and John. They might even call him Jude, but very few will call their child Judas. But, but there's nothing wrong with the name. You see, I want you to think of what the name's associated with. The word Judas is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew word Judah. And Judah, remember, is one of the sons of Jacob. And, of course, as one of the sons of Jacob, Judah became the dominant tribe in the land of Israel. And the name Judah literally means he whom Judah leads, 
or he whom Jehovah leads, or Jehovah is my leader. Now, I'm putting it to you tonight that when Judas was born as a baby, his parents had high hopes for him. I put it to you that he was born into a deeply religious family. I put it to you when he was born as a son, prayer was offered for him. And the prayer was this, Lord, let this boy be led to you. Let this boy be led by you in the journey of life. Lord, let this boy be led by you so that he can be raised up to praise your name as Jehovah. But sadly, regrettably, Judas was not led in time to total submission to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Judas was not led to offer serious praise to the great name of Jehovah. And aren't there many Christian homes tonight with Christian parents? And they have dreams and hopes for their young people. They have offered prayer for them. Only for them to be heartbroken by their lifestyle choices of their kith and kin. Heartbroken by their sin and their choices. Here's living proof that a godly heritage, a Christian upbringing, Christian parents, Christian company does not guarantee the individual child will profess faith in Christ. That that individual child will experience true repentance where there'll be a real turning from sin and a turning to Christ and, and in a saving encounter with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I just don't want you to think of his heart tonight in the place that he was reared. But I want you to think of his home. You see, if you look at our text, it says he spake of Judas Iscariot, verse 71. Underline the word Iscariot, because I believe we're given a glimpse here into his home. Iscariot is the surname. And it's derived from a little village called Kerioth. Ish is man. Kerioth is the place. Judas, a man of Kerioth. And where's Kerioth? Well, it's a humbling farming little town south of Jerusalem. It's, it's an out-of-the-way place. We, we could say, well, it's, it's like a backwater. And we don't know much about it. But the commentators report and make the suggestion that there were some radical Jewish people lived there, some of who were, had the mindset to attack the Roman soldiers. To put that together... Here's a young man called Judith. And he comes from a sheltered background. And he's influenced by this radical group. And he's thinking about a political and a military leader to throw out the Romans. And is he encouraged to identify with Christ? I've asked myself this week in prayer, Lord, how many of our young people with a Christian background, a good Christian upbringing, seem to despise that upbringing. And they come from good homes and good backgrounds. And they might even identify with the Christian church and the Christian community. Here's a point tonight. Did you know that Judas, even though he was one of the twelve, 
He was really a stranger to the twelve. Let me show you why. Keroth is south of Jerusalem. Where were the rest of the twelve from? They were from Galilee. So you think of 11 from the northern province of Galilee and one from south of Jerusalem. Only one from south of Jerusalem. Who was he? Judas, the man from Keroth. All the West were related. They were business partners. They knew one another. They were married in through one another. And who's the stranger in the group? Who's the outsider? Well, it's Judas, the man from Keroth. Here's the place in which he was reared. And I ask you tonight this question, young person. Are you a stranger to God's salvation? And even though you come from a good Christian home with Christian parents who've given you a name that's identified with Jehovah, who offered prayer for you at this moment in time, your heart is not right in the sight of God. The second thing I want you to understand tonight is not only the place that he was reared, but the privileges that he received. If you look at our text, what does it say? Jesus answered them, have not I chosen you twelve? You see, all the twelve apostles, disciples, all enjoyed the very same privileges. If you turn over there to Mark chapter 3, we read in verse 14, and Well, we'll read verse 13. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. Verse 14. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter. Look at verse 19. And Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into an house. Now, I want you to see this. Because, you see, I believe they were all called to be converted. He calleth them individually by name unto him. And they were all called to be commissioned. And the commission was precise. He ordained 12 to be with them. He sent them forth to preach. They were to communicate the word of God, the good news, the kingdom of God has come. He gave them power to heal sicknesses. That that means they were to comfort the weak. He he, he gave them power to cast out devils. They, They were in a conflict to oppose the enemy, to oppose the work of the devil. They were to oppose every falsehood and every evil thing. You see, Judas Iscariot was privileged in that he had the best of a calling. He was called to Christ to identify with him. He was called to preach, communicate the word, comfort the weak, conflict the work of the darkness and the devil. And yet all the while, he was not saved. He was not a true believer. He was not a man of God. Jesus said, if you look at our text, I have chosen you 12, and one of you is a devil. Now, now I've asked myself, why? 
We know that the Lord Jesus chooses according to the mind and will of God. He, I believe, was fulfilling the divine plan. And yet Judas Iscariot is fully responsible for his own actions. Do you know that the Apostle Peter, speaking of Judas, said this? If you look at Acts chapter 1, and it's in the verse 17. Acts 1 and verse 17, he, he said this. For he was numbered with us. He was speaking about Judas. Look at the context. And have obtained part of this ministry. This communicative, comforting, conflicting ministry. And yet all the while, he was a traitor. Why did Christ choose Judas Iscariot? I believe it's for this reason, or one of the reasons. So that the church in all ages would remember and discover the danger of a false profession. Remember Titus said this in Titus 1 and verse 16. They professed that they knew God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. You see, young people, there's a difference between profession and possession. There's a difference between a profession of religion and a possession of redemption. Judas Iscariot had the best of a calling, and yet he wasn't a true believer. Notice also, he had the best company. It says here, being one of the twelve, verse 71. You think of the men of God in the twelve. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. You think of these men preaching together, ministering to the poor, praying together. These 12 being with Christ himself often. The privilege of hearing his sermons. The privilege of seeing him at work. Think of the many mighty miracles. John records 35 of them. Think of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Judas Iscariot was there. How do I know he was there? How many fragments did they pick up at the end? 12 baskets. How had they 12 baskets? The 12 apostles, each one had a basket. Judas was there. And yet he wasn't a true believer. You can have him the best of company. You can go with people to the house of God. But coming to the house of God doesn't make you a Christian. No more than entering a garage makes you a car. He had the best of company. I'll tell you something else. He had the best of circumstances. If you think of his home. Judas, a man of care of. This man heard of God. This man heard spiritual truth. This man's name's associated with Judah, which means Jehovah leads, and one of the things that he leads is to offer praise. You see, there's many homes tonight where there's nothing heard about God except Jesus Christ and a swear word. There's no prayer. The Bible's never opened. But this man had the wonderful privilege of, of being in a Christian home with, with religious saved parents brought them to the house of God. And I say to you young people tonight, if you're born into a Christian home with saved parents that bring you to the house of God, don't ever despise it. Do you know, I believe something else about Judas. He was the best of a character. See, I don't believe tonight that Judas Iscariot was a horrible person. I don't believe he was a felon. Don't believe he was a rascal. Some people like to take the Latin name Iscariot, and in the Latin it actually means murderer. 
You see, remember in the night of the institution of the Lord's Supper, when they were in the upper room sitting around the table and Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. They started asking, who is it, Lord? And he said, it's the one to whom I give the sop. So he dipped the bread and whatever he was dipping it in, handed it, and he handed it to Judas. But not one of them suspected Judas. They didn't all turn around and say, one of you is going to betray the Lord. I know who it is. Judas, she, you're going to betray him. They didn't say that. They said, one after the other, Lord, is it I? See, not one of them suspected Judas. Why? Because I believe that Judas was an outstanding character. And let me tell you something else about Judas that's very strange in the Bible. He only opened his mouth twice. Isn't that a rare thing for a man-woman? To only open his mouth twice. There's only two records in the Bible where Judas actually spoke and said something. If you turn over there to John chapter 12 and verse 5, you'll get one of those references. John 12 and 5. John 12 and 5. Look at verse 4. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. Keeps emphasizing Simon's son. Which should betray him. Verse 5. And here, here's what he said. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Notice verse 6. This he said. Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. It's interesting when you compare scripture with scripture that he influenced others. Because the minute Judas spoke up about the waste, the alabaster box was precious in itself. Never mind the ointment inside. Here's 300 pence worth, nine months and more's wages for a man for a year. This is wasteful. And he influenced others. See, this man was trusted. I believe he had integrity. It mentions here, and bear what was put therein. It says, and had the bag. Well, what did that mean? That means that he was the treasurer. And here's a little window into his heart. This man sadly, inwardly loved money. Money was his God. And it destroyed him. You see, the Lord knew. One of you is a devil. And you see, the best of callings and commissions and company and circumstances and character doesn't change the heart. Over there in Psalm 41 and verse 9, the psalmist made this statement, Psalm 41 and verse 9, and it's an interesting statement. Listen to the word of God. Psalm 41 and verse 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which the deed of my bread had lifted up his heel against me. Isn't that strange? Prophecy was fulfilled according to John 13, verse 18. It was fulfilled in Judas' betrayal when he lifted up his hand and his heel against Christ. Not an enemy. Not one that hated him. 
one who was his guide, one who had sweet counsel with him, one who went together into the house of God with him. And yet Judas, despite these many privileges that he had received, he was not a true believer. He was not saved. One other thing, the problem that he didn't recognize. See, what was Judas' real problem? In John 12 and 6, I've already read it there. This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. You've got to think of the story of the broken box. It's all a waste, Judas said. All the rest of the disciples agreed. I want you to understand tonight that Judas failed to see that anything that was done for Christ was not to be regarded as a waste. Judas' problem was he was not in a saving relationship with Christ. That's why he said it. It's not that he loved the poor. We're told he was a thief. We're told he was a traitor. And you see, how many in Northern Ireland tonight don't recognize the state and condition of their own heart? They've been nature and cradled in the gospel, brought up in the house of God, yet they remain a stranger to the grace of God in Christ. Here's Judas the pretender, pretending to be a Christian, a child of God, a man of God. And yet all the while he's not. Let me tell you this story tonight. One of our ministers got a phone call late one night. A man asked him, would you meet me? He said, I would. Meet me at the manse? No, I can't come. Meet me at the church? No. Where will we meet? He mentioned an out-of-the-way car park. He got into the minister's car. They began to talk. He said, thank you for meeting with me. He said, you know, minister, I've never missed a prayer meeting. I'm involved in the young people's fellowship. I- I'm at the door welcoming people in. I'm one of the deacons. I-, I help to make decisions for this church over time. But I have a confession to make. And even though I've done and said stupid things to get my own way, my confession is this, that I'm not saved. I've never been born again. My life has been a big pretense. And I have spoke about Christ. I have served Christ. I've tried to share Christ. I've sat with Christ. But my life has been one big sham because I've never been born again. My heart is not right in the sight of God. Remember what Proverbs 23 and 7 says. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Here's Judas stealing out of the Lord's treasury, pretending to do what's right in service, yet doing what is wrong. And how many have gone down the same road, whether it's drunkenness, gambling, wife-beating, claiming to love God and live for him and labor for him, yet their heart is not right. You'll find them happier in the party scene than in the prayer meeting. They're guilty of many other sins of the flesh, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and idolatry. See, Judas knew what was right, and yet he was doing what was wrong. Because Christ was not his Lord and Savior. Money was his God. You tonight have been made by God. You're dependent on him. But yet you withhold your life from him. You're robbing him because you have a love for Sin and the things of time and sense. I want you to finish tonight. Think of the punishment 
with which Judas Iscariot was rewarded. The Bible teaches us that sin pays wages, for the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And over there in the epistle of James, in James 1.15, we read, But when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when is finished, bringing forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. You see, Judas was overcome with guilt and remorse. He knew he had done wrong. He was conscious of that. And here's Judas Iscariot, and he confesses that he's betrayed innocent blood. And the price of sin is greater than he could bear. He, he fell into despair. He knew the way of the transgressor was hard. And in the guilt and pangs of remorse without real true repentance, he tried to return the money. Satan had used him. He sold his soul for silver. And the religious leaders had no regard for him. They dumped him. They disregarded him. Until the point arose when he took his own life and fell headlong to his death in the potter's field. And how many tonight? because of guilt and remorse, are dispirited and disillusioned and depressed. And here's the tragic end of a tragic life. Judas, having died, went to his own place, as the late Dr. Paisley says, kissing the door of heaven and entering in through the door of hell. Remember the scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The call of the Bible is repent ye and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And he gives us this promise. But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Why pretend tonight you're a Christian? Why pretend that you're making a claim to know and love Christ? Because the reality is, it's only a pretense. There's a difference between pretense and possession. Judas Iscariot was a perilous pretender and he died and went to his own place. I commend them to you as an example tonight and I pray that you'll learn these lessons and you'll apply them to your own life and ask yourself, have I a heart that loves sin or a heart that loves the Savior? Who do you love more? And who do you love most?